There's a lot of things in this old world That just do not make sense Like why there's so few believers on the firing line While so many others sit the fence But if you want to know where the word of God stands And believe it wants to use your feet and hands It's time to take your faith out of the seats And into the streets And come along with me If you'll only look Then you will see On WCN-TV friends. Thank you for joining me here today on WCN-TV. I'm your co-host, Pastor Mike. Wonderful conversation today, and uh, my guess is, based on statistics, some of you are going to be able to relate probably much better than you want to. 90% of Americans still consider cheating on a spouse as immoral, although between 30 to 40% still do it. Men cheat on wives more than vice versa, but that tide is turning as well. When adultery does occur, and this is a shocking statistic, when adultery does occur, only about 15% of marriages survive. We live in a highly sexualized culture where sexual morals have changed and and sex has become trivialized, marginalized. Traditional families are declining at an alarming rate. My guest today is Krista Nunsford. We're going to discuss her book, The Pursuit of Grace. And I want you to notice what is lined out in that title. I thought that was a good, good use of, uh, well, a dominant feature of, of the book. The pursuit of perfection is lined out and grace is put in its place. And you're going to find out the reason for that as we enter into this conversation. Um, and I just want to read from the back of the book. I, I think it, it capsulized the book's message uh, perfectly. After experiencing trauma, many of us struggle to come to terms with our identities as broken people. We spend lifetimes pursuing what we believe will make us whole, what we believe will portray the perfect image to those around us. We imprison ourselves within our pursuit of perfection, which is a life of facades. We believe showing any sign of weakness is weakness itself and is something to be ashamed of. But what if there was purpose in the broken pieces? and they could be used to testify to true healing. What if we could somehow experience pride instead of shame in our brokenness? Would we be brave enough to take that opportunity? The Pursuit of Grace examines these questions and draws readers to the only 
perfect solution. Kristen graduated with a degree in early childhood education from Harding University. She's a blogger, speechwriter, teacher, author, mom of four. She has a <laughs> Kathy and I. I'm chuckling because Kathy and I raised four daughters, so I understand what four children, what that household is like. <laughs> she has a passion for ministering to those who feel they don't belong or who feel broken. And boy, is that ever needed in the ecclesia today? Kristen, thank you so much for joining me here on WCN TV. Thank you for having me. Your story is a personal one. It's one that no one wishes to experience. And as you describe so perfectly in your book, we really don't know many, most don't know how to respond, what to think. We only really just pull in and um, begin a new journey of despair. Dis- depression, darkness is probably a good way to say it. So let's begin with, with uh, your life. What happened that caused this book to be written? And, and like I said, as I was reading it, I thought that had to be hard to type out. That had to be difficult to to put that on paper. So let's let's set the foundation and and uh, what the book is about first. Why you wrote it? Yeah. So I um, I was four months pregnant um, about uh, fifteen years ago, and um, I had found out that my husband had been having an affair for a year, and um, just devastated me and um, I felt very lonely and not really sure where to turn to and who to turn to. And, um, you know, I grew up in the church, but like you said, you know, that, that kind of thing is still considered pretty shameful, even on my end of it. You know, I really wasn't sure how to deal with something like that because I'd never thought that I would ever go through something like that. So it just kind of knocked me off my feet and I, it took me a long time to learn to recover. I, I tried to find recovery through things and people that couldn't provide. Yes. Well, one of the, one of the things you mentioned, um, the church, one of the things that is, is still too prominent in the church is that people believe that they have to put on this, this face to this mask to shield themselves from from being judged or being thought of in a in an unflattering way and so when we come to church we come in with what i've described before Kristen, as plastic smiles to hide the real pain and the hurt that's on our faces and do you think that's a that's one of the motivators for for why we do that um, we come into the into the ecclesia among God's people, the very place where we should seek healing and, and, and relief and support and, and understanding. But we come in and we try to hide all that. Why do we do that? Absolutely. I, I think it has to do a lot with shame, uh, especially for me, you know, growing up in the church, I felt like if you did right, if you uh, looked for the right kind of spouse, lived the right kind of way, then things should happen accordingly. But we forget that we're dealing with sinful people, ourselves and others around us. 
And so when a piece of sin breaks through, we don't know how to deal with it. So we live in this shame um, and it's easier to just pretend like it isn't there. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely true. And, um, you know, in parts of parts of your book, Kristen, I was thinking back. Um, I've been in pastoral ministry for over 25 years now and ministry of various types for over 35 years, raised our four daughters, you know, in that context. And your book caused me to pause and 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 think through some situations where I thought, you know, my expectations were that that my daughters would behave in a certain way because their behavior reflected on me and what um, what I and that's a lack of grace, by the way, folks, if you've joined us today for this conversation, that's a lack of grace. Um, it caused me to, to understand, you know, what's really important is my relationship with my children, with my spouse um, and what other people think is, is shouldn't really come to the top of that that list. We should be about extending grace and understanding and maintaining that right relationship with our with our families. And I know I know in your case you're a self professed perfectionist, so that doesn't help, does it? No, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> that that really lends itself to um, trying to force or trying to unrealistically maintain certain standards or, or appearances. And that puts everybody under a real burden of stress. Doesn't it? Yes. And it tends to infiltrate other areas. And at, like you said, with your children, it begins to affect other people and uh, places the burden on them as well. And I noticed it with my own children specifically. Um, and what a heavy burden to put on a child, you know, that my value and my worth is in your hands, dependent on your behavior. Yeah. Um, that's a burden. Yeah. Yeah. You, you gave an example in one of the chapters, I'm not sure which one you were homeschooling your daughter and, and she, she received the same kind of enjoyment in mathematics as you did. And so <laughs> <laughs> there ensued a, a situation, but it ended up teaching you something, didn't it? Yes, it did. Yeah. She um, struggled with division and and so did I growing up. And as that should have produced um, compassion and empathy from me, um, you know, I say in the book that really my need for value came first. So I kind of put her down to elevate myself. And uh, I saw in that moment, just tears in her eyes and I realized that I was breaking her with my desire for perfection, which was really stemming from my desire for value. Yeah. 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 I wrote down something. I came across this statement in your book and I thought that's good. So let's, let's talk about this. Expecting the best because you're doing your best is a sure recipe. My word, disappointment. Mm-hmm. expecting the best outcomes because you're putting forth the maximum effort is a sure recipe for disappointment. That's, that's that drive for perfectionism that we expect everybody else to, to muster up to, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So having a perfectionist 
attitude and mindset and not really understanding how that's that's has a ripple effect on everybody everybody around us especially those closest to us um does that in any way affect our ability to extend or offer grace to people absolutely because we're we're expecting the uh, perfection not only from ourselves but if we have to keep up the act so do others and so we begin to let their actions define who we believe they are um, because we believe our defect, our actions define who we are. If we struggle, if we fail, if we mess up, then we are failures and that's who we are. So that's what we identify as. And others, if they fail, if they struggle, then they also are failures and that's who we identify them as. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can tell you from experience, pastors battle that all the time because that's the expectation of, of far too many Christians. Um, ministry would be a, a whole lot more pleasant and fruitful if if folks would extend grace to their pastors and those in, in ministry positions instead of expecting them to be perfect all of the time because there's no such thing, is there? No, no. And I love, I love that. That's very true in roles of ministry. Mm-hmm. We, we hold them to an expectation that is unreachable. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then criticize them when they fail to reach that unreachable. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So where do you believe that your perfectionist tendencies started? Um, I, I think a little bit of it infiltrated when I was in junior high, you know, junior high kids tend to be honest and rude. And, um, (laughs) I think, uh, you know, they're quick to point out faults and failures. And so that was kind of the moment that I began to realize I actually had them and began to search for ways to fill the void and make myself right. Um, so I think it kind of started there and just slowly progressed over time. And then when I found out about the affair, um, it was almost like confirmation of everything that I had been told growing up um, that I wasn't good enough and I, I wasn't desirable and I was easily disposable. Um, it just kind of confirmed everything that I had feared. Yeah. And boy, the enemy of our souls certainly shows up and and speaks all of those lies uh, in our ears, doesn't he? Absolutely. Yeah. So what what did you experience? What were your thoughts, feelings, emotions? What were your reactions, your physical reactions when when your husband uh, revealed that? And and boy, as I was reading through that that chapter and that section. Um, your dad was there. He was in tears. Um, and I just, <laughs> again, as the father of four daughters, that broke my heart because I couldn't imagine being in that place. And um, but praise God that he was very strong father. So w- what was your response when, uh, am I allowed to speak his name? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay. When, so, yeah. so when Adam, mm-hmm. <laughs> when yeah. Adam shared what, what had been going on. Um, I think first, um, obviously shock, um, even though I had been suspecting for quite some time, you know, you couldn't, I couldn't, uh, prove it. So this was the point where it was everything I had feared would 
has actually come true. So I think there was shock, but also, um, man, I, I write in the book just immense heartbreak that I felt in my soul. I, I felt nauseous and um, extreme loneliness um, because the one person that you would turn to in a dark time um, was the person who caused it. So where do you go? You know? Yeah. Um, so it's just very, very isolating. Absolutely. And um, you determined to, to work through it and, and to, to save the marriage. I applaud you and Adam both for that. You're, you're very, one of a very small number um, of married couples that do that most um, just immediately want to, to trash the marriage, walk away and, and never turn back. So you're both to be applauded for that. What kind of decisions then? Um, well, first let's touch on this. Uh, you decided to, to share this uh, at church with the Ecclesia, with the body, what, what had happened. And I know just from reading that section that, that you were all bound up thinking about that being being uh, spoken. And did you realize at that time that, that it was because you were fighting this, this, this image, this perfect image that, it, that you were trying to project and, and it just was causing distraught to you to be distraught to think about, I've got to share this or uh, what are they going to think of me? And, that was a pretty difficult time too, wasn't it? Absolutely. I think, I think the biggest part was I didn't want it to be my reality. And once those words are spoken, you don't get those back. And it is now officially your reality. Um, you know, I couldn't even journal about my feelings because I knew if I wrote them down, it would be real. And I didn't want it to be real. And so when those words were spoken to to everyone we knew at church, everything became real in that moment. And there's no going back after that. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, I, I, I imagine part of the concern, part of the fear was that um, people would, would turn away from you, uh, try to treat you differently, um, not understand the, 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 and of course the reason you do things like that is to cut short that, that gossip and all of that uh, talk and, and we'll just present it right out of our mouth. So, you know, um, and again, the Ecclesia, that should be the place where, where we can go and share these kinds of things and, and, and not act like continue to act like we've got it all together. Everything's fine. You know, it, it seems to me when we do things like that, Kristen, um, we really, in a sense, are are marginalizing or pushing people away whose lives are in turmoil, but they fear sharing that. And they think, well, everybody else is doing fine. I don't dare share what's going on in my life. It, do you think maybe that's the case, that that when we don't share reality and, and gather around one another and support one another, we're actually driving people away that are going through situations, but they're afraid to share it? Yes, absolutely. I say that there's no room for broken people in the church with mm. the way that we have it right now. And um, that can't change until people begin to start being vulnerable. And it's and that means that 
you're going to face judgment. You're going to face criticism, a lack of understanding, a lack of compassion. Um, but we need people willing to stand up and and testify to what God can do in broken people so that we can testify to a world of broken people. Yes. Amen. Amen. So what kind of decisions or new choices uh, did you and Adam make um, since since he confessed to that? And because there had to be things that, that you changed and decisions that you made. I know one of the big things was you moved to Arizona. Yes. Um, again, I didn't want that to be my reality. So at the time, I just wanted to run. I wanted to escape. I wanted to go where no one knew me. Um, that was the biggest change that we made. And it came with benefits, but it also came with negative uh, side effects as well, because it was easy to put on an image. Um, and that took a long time, took years to manifest itself in different ways. And eventually we had to get serious help. So we got um, personal therapy um, and group therapy and started changing the way that we did our daily worship, our daily Bible studies. Yeah. In that same chapter, uh, Running to Escape, you shared a good illustration uh, from a video. Um, can't help myself. It was about a robot. And I, I read that. I thought, man, isn't that, isn't that a picture of us trying to maintain something that doesn't need to be maintained? And it's, it's not even important for, for our lives and our welfare, but we don't understand it at the time. You want to share a little bit about that illustration and how that fits into your story? Yes. There was a robot on Instagram, a picture of it and, um, or a video. And it just, it was constantly cleaning up this red hydraulic fluid. And when it got it all nice and clean, it did this little happy dance and um, celebrated. But then it spent more time cleaning up this hydraulic fluid and eventually exhausted itself to death um, trying to clean up this mess. There was splatter on the walls and uh, the machine was messy, and I like to say eventually it it died. Um, but the tragic part is it didn't even need hydraulic fluid. It was electric. So it spent its entire life cleaning up something it didn't need to clean up. And that's exactly what we do, and that's exactly what I've done, is spend so much try time trying to make myself right, trying to make myself better, and that was never God's intent for me. That's right. Amen. Amen. Is the perfectionist uh, tendency, I, my impression and understanding of it, and, and I know there are other uh, controlling factors, but, well, that's a good word to use. Perfectionism <laughs> seeks to control, doesn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now, we won't always admit that, <laughs> but we like to have everything nice, neat, in order, flowing as we've planned and all of this. You you tell a story in your book about, uh, and, and you actually said, thank God, Adam's the same way I am in this area. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when I was reading that, I was thinking, well, you're just like my oldest daughter, um, because that's exactly, and of course, we all kid her about it, because I'm, I'm the exact opposite, Kristen. I'm the, the, I'm the guy that says, hey, 
I'll take care of uh, the hotel reservations and here's some places that we can consider to go eat. Um, and here's how long it's going to take us to get there. And here's the route we'll take. But once we're there, let's just do whatever feels right. Like we, what we want to do. I don't want to have this itinerary. Yeah. My oldest <laughs> daughter does, however, and, and so do you, don't you? Yes. Yes. I love to have things in order. Yep. So I'm planned, planned out, all planned yep. out. Planned out. Now, how does that relate then to the book and your story? Because sometimes things don't always go as planned. And if we're not able to to be flexible or adjust or to see even the good or the value in that, we're going to be in trouble, aren't we? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think we all start out living our lives expecting God to um, get in line with our plans and we fail to get in line with his plan. And so when tragedy strikes, you know, we question whether God is even there because that wasn't a part of our plan. Right. Um, and really, it's a change of mindset saying, am I am I with God? whether this plan goes the way I want it to or not, if this plan plummets, am I still with God in it all? And that's a hard mindset to get to because that means, that means when uh, you don't, when you aren't able to have children, when you get a cancer diagnosis, when your spouse leaves you, you know, are you still able to glorify God in all of that? And that, that's a hard question um, and a hard place to get to. Yes, yes. And I, I appreciate it so much uh, in the book when you, chapter by chapter, lots of scriptural references, lots of illustrations uh, from the Bible where, where uh, figures in the scriptures dealt with similar things and how they responded. So in, in that in that time, that season of brokenness, how you had to make some deliberate choices on, on how to respond, didn't you? Yes. Um, I, <laughs> I first realized um, through the story of Hagar, um, just what grace looks like and how God is in pursuit of broken people when they're out in the wilderness and when they're on their own in this place of desolation, the Lord comes running and looking for them, seeking for a way to deliver. And that was one major part of my faith that was kind of a turning point of just realizing what God's pursuit of people looks like. And so if his pursuit of people looks like that, then so should mine. Yeah, yeah. There's a link between perfectionism and and a sense of unworthiness. Um, you described a a uh, a friend that you had since childhood, and a meeting uh, with her, and you thought it was going to be a wonderful time of catching up and laughter and fun and all of these kinds of things. And uh, I think God providentially turn that conversation in the direction that it went because what your friend shared with you um, broke your heart 
but it also provided an opportunity to talk about where do we go from here, the healing process, what needs to happen. And in a lot of instances, and and I'll let you describe that situation, Kristen, but in a lot of situations, uh, what happens to us creates a a belief that we are unworthy in God's eyes. And that becomes a, a virtual prison of sorts, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my friend and I met for breakfast and um, she began to reveal um, years of sexual abuse that had happened while we were growing up. Um, and she was revealing different ways that it had manifested in her life. She kept it a secret. Um, also living in shame, believing that if she revealed that part of herself, um, there would be no mercy. There would be no grace, even from the victim mentality, from the victim standpoint. You know, it, it's odd that even the victim feels shame in that way, but it's true. Um, there is shame there. And she lived just a life of um, fear of people knowing that part of her and kept that a secret for almost 20 years. And then it kind of, like we've been talking about, manifested itself in different ways. There was anger, there was rage, there was bitterness. Um, There was emotional walls, physical walls that had been built. Um, And so she too needed to experience healing and kind of came to this moment of, I can either let what happened define me and control the rest of my life, or I can use it as a way to testify to true healing. And that's what the mission is for us who have gone through any type of tragedy or trauma. You know, what are we going to do with it? We can sit in it or we can use it. That's right. Yeah. Cry out to God. And so, so at what point in your journey of, of um, healing, did you begin to understand God's grace more fully? Because there was a point in time when it just kind of, wow, the wonderful, loving embrace and, and sense of God's grace upon my life. That's like, that's like a jailer turning the key in that jail cell and, and you being able to walk out free. Oh, yes, that is so true. Um, I was in group therapy and uh, my my group friends had kind of called me out on my struggle and it was surrender. And I was afraid to surrender my shame. I was afraid to surrender my reality. Um, I was afraid to surrender my worth and my value. And they kind of said, if if you want true healing, you have to learn to surrender and give that up um, to find healing in the one who created you in the first place. You're looking for healing and definition in all the wrong places. And so I kind of had to come to a moment um, and I just, I have a swing in my backyard and I sat on my swing and I just cried out to God. And I just said, you know, this is where I'm at. I'm at that point I was struggling with a, an eating disorder. And, um, I said, I don't know where to go from here. I need you to tell me what you think of me because I don't know what to think of myself. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was in that moment that he used stories like Hagar 
and the Samaritan woman and the adulterous woman of just how God sees people first where they are and then calls them to a different life. And so that was kind of the process for me as well, was just recognizing that he saw me in my pain and wasn't running from me. He was running to me. Amen. Amen. Folks, I'm speaking with author Kristen Lunsford. The book is The Pursuit of Grace. You'll notice perfection is lined out there. And there's a reason you've discovered that reason now, why that's the case. Uh, where'd the title come from, Kristen, The Pursuit of Grace? Yeah, it's funny. I When I started writing the book, I had kind of this idea of me on my pursuit of living a life defined by grace um, instead of perfection. That was kind of my idea. But then as I went along through it, um, I kind of came to the realization that in this perfectionistic lifestyle, in this pursuit of trying to fill the holes, so to speak, um, God's grace was in pursuit of me the whole time, knowing that I was going to fall. And so it really wasn't my journey of learning to be pursued by, or of learning the pursuit of grace, but it was really my journey of accepting God's grace that had been pursuing me the entire time. Yes. And that was kind of a life-changing moment for me. Yes. Because when you've been rejected, being pursued changes everything. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, hey, folks, here's a newsflash. It shouldn't be a newsflash. God doesn't think like we do. <laughs> he doesn't look at people the way that we sometimes do. He doesn't see the the warts and the blemishes and all the things that are so prominent in our own lives. When he looks at us, when you belong to him, he sees a child that he sent Jesus to die for. That is a life altering thought. You talk about a lesson that you, you learned from a homeless man in, in Denver and, and how we can learn to see broken people in in a different way. Tell us about that. Um, Yeah, so I was in high school and we went um, downtown Denver every Wednesday to feed the homeless and um, give them blankets and then just spend some time praying over them. And um, on this one particular February night, it was really cold and um, we were we had our last sandwich and we were on our way back to the car and we encountered this man um, who was sitting by a sewer drain and he was warming his hands. And so we went over there and gave him our sandwich and just asked if we could pray over him. And as we were praying, I was shaking because I was so cold and my hands were stuffed in my pockets. And after we prayed, he took off his gloves that had holes all over them um, and he gave them to me. And um, in that moment, uh, I just felt extreme humility. I was so humbled that someone I honestly had placed judgment on um, was taking time to give something of his own to a girl who had plenty of clothes, 
plenty of food to eat. I'd never gone hungry. I'd never, you know, struggled like that. And um, it just made me sad that I didn't see the person. I saw the circumstance. And that was kind of the awakening moment for me of just trying to see people um, and not necessarily their actions or their circumstances that they're in, but just trying to see people first. Yes. Yep. Amen. Amen. Just see people first. That's a good life lesson right there. You write that you spent 11 years portraying perfection, obviously, after having taken the time to write your book. And, and is it available on the, on the website, Kristen, Pursued by Grace? It is. Yes, it's available on the website, also available on Amazon and through my publisher, Karis Publishing. Okay. Okay. And I always ask this question of authors that come on the show. Um, Can they reach out on your website? You have a contact form where they can send you a message and request a copy of your book that's signed. Absolutely. Yes, I do have my email on there. Um, if they would like a signed copy, I'm happy to do that. I have I have several here that I can do that with. So just contact me. I'm I'm on Instagram as well. You can message me there. Um, so that can uh, kind of take you where you need to go if you go to my website. Excellent. Excellent. So where are you today? How would you evaluate your life? <laughs> From that day to this day and where are you at? How has your your mindset changed, your thinking changed, your understanding of God's grace changed? And um, are you still battling with perfectionism? I, I would say that I'm living in a life of freedom um, due to God's hand. And I'm so thankful for that. I I am free from my eating disorder. Um, I'm free from depression and anxiety. And um, I, now my mission has changed. I don't want anyone in the church to ever feel like they don't have a place there, that if their stories are messy or ugly, um, that that's okay. So I, I'm actually just very intentional at seeking out the people in church who look like they feel like they don't belong. The Mm -hmm. ones who are sitting in the back, sitting alone. uh, Those are the ones that are my mission and I'm there to tell them what God can do. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So as, as you're saying that Kristen, I'm just imagining those are people that even though they're, they're battling, the, the war is raging for them. And they they don't feel worthy. They don't feel loved. They feel neglected, abandoned, all of those things. Um, They still are clinging to the hem of his garment in the sense that they're at least coming to a body of believers. They're presenting themselves before the Lord. They're seeking him. Um, And he has given you a gift because what you just said was you see those. You know, some people don't see those folks, those folks that are hurting. I think because of your experiences, you know the look, don't you? Yes, I do. And I think it's something we have to train ourselves to do because you're right. We we're used to overlooking. We're used to our comfort zone and and being with the people that we feel comfortable with. Um, but but really it's about being intentional and about being purposeful 
and seeking people out and asking hard questions, which also is uncomfortable. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you start asking some questions and you'll see people squirming real yeah. fast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that's difficult for some folks. Uh, well, they're caught off guard to begin with. They're not expecting, you know, honesty and, and, and frankness. Um, they're so used to to having this facade that they that they can put up when they when they come around uh, other believers. Um, again, the book, folks, is the pursuit of grace. Uh, Kristen Lunsford. It, it uh, it's a very um, is touching a right word to use. It's it's a very impactful story. It's a personal story. Uh, I found myself. Um, sympathizing. I can't empathize because I've not gone through what you've gone through, but sympathizing and understanding that pain and, and thinking about, uh, you know, my own daughters and how that would just break my heart uh, if they had to experience that. But friends, I, I would encourage you, if you know someone who's, who's, who has um, experienced this kind of a situation in their marriage or maybe even maybe even tragically, it's ended in divorce. Um, I would encourage you to get the book and give it to them. I think it will go a long way towards helping to bring some healing, some understanding, some clarity. Certainly, uh, breaking away all of those things that the enemy tries to get us to believe, all of those lies, and set their feet on the right path. So, um, before we close. Um, Kristen, what advice might you offer to someone who who might be struggling with the same need to to earn God's acceptance by trying to be perfect? My my first piece of advice would be to um, seek help. Sometimes it's hard to see outside of our reality when we're living in it. So it's good to get help from someone who can kind of help you step outside of your reality, take a step, uh, I mean, take a look in and um, just get a different point of view and then start uh, to ask the Lord to tell you what he thinks of you. He is faithful and he will absolutely answer that prayer and tell you what he thinks of you. He wants you to know. We just have to ask. Amen. Amen. So very true. Well, folks, uh, thank you for joining us today. Um, the book is The Pursuit of Grace. The author is Kristen Lunsford. The website is pursuedbygrace.net, pursuedbygrace.net. And if you contact Kristen, she will be happy to send you one autographed. I like the ones that are autographed personally when I, <laughs> when I get books. I Anyway, Kristen, thank you so much for sharing your story and experiences and, and, and the beautiful picture of God's redeeming grace. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Folks, that's all we have for you today here on WCN-TV. Please share this uh, on your platform, social media platforms, and with your friends, and especially with those friends or family members who have experienced this kind of heartache. I believe this book go a long way towards restoring and healing. Amen. God bless you. That's all we have. We'll see you next time here on WCN-TV. Mm-hmm.